0: Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom!
1: Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin (laughs) another grand experiment?
1: I am. I'm very ready. Let's go!
0: Alright, let's give it a
1: whirl! Okay, and I just want to say hello, everybody! welcome back. Happy spring. We now have spring. And since this is coming out on Friday, we already have our new, brand new and soon to find out what it means, Pluto and Aquarius.
0: Uh, yes, uh, we are, uh, all sorts of fun things are happening uh, up in the stars right now, and uh, <laughs> we will do our best to keep you apprised of the situations as they occur, uh, and uh, we just like to uh, wish all those who are uh, coming back, uh, welcome, uh, we're so happy to have you uh, listening all across this great country of ours and all across this wonderful world, and uh, for those of you if this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, welcome, uh, we're so excited to have you here. We've got quite the little party going on uh, every week here on the show. Uh, So uh, the way that this show works is that uh, in a moment I will provide the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Uh, She will then input that data into the Bat computer and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that person was born. She will then uh, do her best uh, to give a blind reading of this chart chart, telling us what she can of the person's uh, motivations, characteristics, personality traits. Uh, and then I will reveal to her who this mystery history guest is, and uh, give a little background about the person. We'll come together at the end to see how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. And without any further ado, let us begin.
1: All right, I'm ready.
0: Uh, this is a female. Okay. Uh, born on the 4th mm-hmm. of July.
1: Woo, 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: 1916.
1: Okay. Do we have a time?
0: Uh, we unfortunately do not.
1: Uh, <laughs> what would you like me to use? Uh, noon. Okay. All right. Okay, where in the world?
0: Uh, the United States.
1: Okay, and what town?
0: Los Angeles, California.
1: Ooh! All right. Okay.
0: So this is a female born on the 4th of July, 1916, in Los Angeles, California.
1: Okay, so first I'm just going to check and see if this person has any interceptions. Okay, I do not see any. It looks pretty equaled out. Okay, so let's go back and put this into equal houses for me. Alright, July the 4th. Hmm, this person must have had a really wild career, because this is a lot of stuff up here at the Midhaven. Um, alright. Well, uh, let's just start with the first house. Okay. And well, actually we'll start by revealing all the planets, uh, but the um, ascendant is 11 degrees Libra. So the first house cusp is 11 degrees Libra. Then we have sun at 12 degrees Cancer, moon at zero degrees Virgo, Mercury at 21 degrees Gemini, Venus at 10 degrees Cancer, Mars at 19 degrees Virgo, Jupiter at 1 degree Taurus, Saturn at 19 degrees Cancer, Uranus at 19 degrees Aquarius, Neptune at 1 degree Leo, Pluto at 3 degrees Cancer, and North Node at 28 degrees Capricorn. And Chiron at 26 degrees Pisces. Very interesting. Okay, so we're going to start with this person's first house cusp in Libra. And as we know, Libra is ruled by Venus. And this would have or should have made this person very beautiful, very pretty, very easy on the eyes. Um, I always like to say that, uh, Libra risings are kind of pretty, like, uh, more like a daisy, you know, like natural and pretty. And, uh, um, people tend to really enjoy being around them. They have uh lovely personalities. They, they can be people pleasers. They, they want, um, You know, they really, they really normally want you to, uh, to like them. And then their second house cusp is Scorpio. There's nothing in the first house here. There is nothing in the second house, but Scorpio in the second house does give you a, um, uh, a, 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 and you like money. You like the money. Scorpio in the second house, <laughs> you know, you, you like it, you're willing to work for it. You're willing to do what you have to do to get it. And, uh, this person doesn't have any planets in there. So there's not a huge, huge drive, but they are not opposed to money. Um, third house Sagittarius on the third house is a, um, uh, a cavalier way of communicating third house is communication. It's ruled by Gemini, which is ruled by Mercury. And this person has, um, Sagittarius there. So they can also be really honest and can maybe sometimes be blunt. Uh, probably in a way that is still not offensive. Like maybe they can be, um, like in a fun way, they'll tell you something uncomfortable, if that makes any sense. And then fourth house cusp is Capricorn. And this person has North Node in Capricorn at 29 degrees. So we know that zero degrees and 29 degrees are the most intense degrees of any sign. This person have having North Node in Capricorn in the fourth house um has something to do with their um their community their home their uh you know uh um really close knit family your your immediate family um but also in the vein of capricorn which is business and and money um interesting so, and that is their, you know, that's their destiny. Their, your North node is what you're trying to do in this lifetime. Your South node is what you've already done. Now, this person could have had, you know, uh, South node things in their 10th house. So, I mean, with all this stuff in their 10th house, it could have, uh, definitely been, um, uh, kind of a, um, well, I don't know. It kind of, kind of goes together because this is all in cancer anyway. So, um, now we go to the fifth house. Um, fifth house is Aquarius and, um, they have Uranus in Aquarius in their fifth house. So, uh, Uranus rules Aquarius. So Uranus is at home in Aquarius and fifth house is show business and, uh, children and entertaining and fun and hobbies and things that you like to have fun doing is your fifth house. Romance. The, um, you know, the, the flowers and kisses part of, of romance. Uh, and they have Uranus in Aquarius there. Definitely, uh, could have had innovative ideas with regard to show business, innovative ideas with regard to anything that has to do with the fifth house, um, inventive ideas. Uh, Uranus is um, a future, the future and um, technology. So definitely could have had something to do with uh, the first time doing this or the first time doing that uh, with regard to these things. Um, there are six houses Pisces and they have Chiron at 26 degrees Pisces. Now having Chiron in Pisces is, uh, definitely a healing aspect. Now you can heal spiritually. You can heal motivationally. But it has something to do with their sixth house, which is ruled by Virgo, which is also ruled by Mercury, um, and has to do with work and day to day and how you do your work and how dedicated you are. And this person has their sixth house cusp in Pisces, which would make them more creative with their work, not necessarily want to you know, get down to brass tacks, but more, you know, um, whimsical about their work, but their work has to do with healing and their healing has to do with creative. So it's something about creative healing. Seventh house cusp is Aries. And, uh, since I am doing this equal houses based on their, uh, 12 degrees ascendant, that puts uh, their Jupiter in Taurus at one degree in their seventh house. So Jupiter in the seventh house is sort of like turning on the spigot. You, you can't really turn the spigot off when you have Jupiter in the seventh house. You may even want to try to be alone, but that is not going to happen because there is always going to be a partner. There's always another one. They're coming. <laughs> They're going to be there. You have no choice. And um, Jupiter and Taurus in the seventh house is going to be, um, a, a way it, it's ruled by Venus. So, uh, they definitely have an overabundance of Venusian luck, meaning, um, because first of all, The seventh house is ruled by Venus because the seventh house is ruled by Libra, which is ruled by Venus. So now this person has Jupiter at one degree, Taurus, which is ruled by Venus, in a house that's ruled by Venus. That's a lot of Venus. So I don't know. We could be dealing with some sort of goddess here. And, uh, then we do have the eighth house cusp is in Taurus and there's nothing in that house, but it is ruled by Taurus, which is going to give it, um, that Venus flare, romance and, uh, romantic ideas about other people's money and a, um, uh, I want to say almost like a natural luck with other people's money. But, um, then we have the ninth house and this is where everything starts to get wild because we have all these planets right here at the crown of this chart. So in the ninth house we have, which is ruled by Gemini, we have Mercury in Gemini, then So that's all we have in Gemini in the ninth house, but we do have Pluto at three degrees cancer and Venus at 10 degrees cancer in the ninth house. So somehow this person has power with their ninth house aspects, which is, um, travel and higher education and, uh, spirituality and, uh, dogma and, um, philosophies, uh, this person should have been, um, really spiritual and possibly, you know, could have had natural, um, abilities to, um, uh, to be an empath for sure, you know, and this is their communication in Gemini so they were able to communicate these feelings that they have about whatever it is, you know. But this Venus in Cancer is very, very loving, very nurturing. And Pluto in Cancer is somehow power in nurturing. Am I even close to anything? hmm Okay. <laughs> and then in the 10th house, we have the sun at 12 degrees Cancer, the midhaven at 13 degrees Cancer, and then Saturn at 19 degrees Cancer, and Neptune at one degree Leo. Uh, so this is an awful lot to do with career, and how people see you in the outer world. Your, your fame, your, uh, image is your 10th house and they have sun in cancer, Midhaven in cancer, conjunct Saturn in cancer. So this is their lesson. Their career is their lesson. And that goes along with this north node in capricorn even though their north node in capricorn kind of reflects their south node in cancer having all of this stuff in in the house of career which is ruled by capricorn which is ruled by saturn uh should have made them really good at business and career now this neptune at 1 degree Leo gives them a very creative, dreamy, filmish way because Neptune rules film, uh, somehow connected to their career in the 10th house and their midhaven is their career and it's in their 10th house. And Saturn is the lessons you have to learn and the lessons being the 10th house. So very interesting. And then this person has moon at zero degrees of Virgo in the 11th house. Zero degrees, again, just like this 29 degrees, is very powerful degree. Having your moon in Virgo at zero degrees somehow gives this person an edge over all this cancer because all this cancer is ruled by the moon, you know? And so this could make them very watery, very emotional, but somehow this Virgo moon in earth grounds them a little bit enough to get the job done. I would say, uh, zero degrees being zero and 29 being the most powerful degrees of a sign and this person having it at zero degrees, which is the first degree, uh, gave them a grounded analytical way of viewing their emotions. And then Mars in Virgo in the 12th house, again, Virgo is work and work ethic and also medical healing where Pisces is spiritual healing. Virgo is medical healing using knowledge, using data to heal. And this person has Mars in Virgo. So I would assume that this person would have been very organized in how they go about getting what they want and getting their things done because Mars is, um, your passion. Mars is how you, um, how do you, what is your strategy to get from here to there? If you want to go on this journey, what is your plan of action? So Mars is kind of, but it's also your sexuality and anything that you're passionate about. So this person would have had also some grounding with this Virgo, Mars and Virgo, giving them a very straight line to get from here to there and, 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 and gather all the information needed. This person should have been very smart, uh, very, um, capable of, uh, um, gathering all the information that they need to get to where they want to go. Does this make sense? hmm Okay, do you have any questions?
0: Uh, what is her relationship to her country?
1: Well, she has North Node in Capricorn at 29 degrees in the fourth house, which is your home, your community, your environment, you know? And so I would think that this person ha- I mean Capricorns can be really 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 loyal and be in for the long run so it's possible she was very loyal to her country
0: do you think that she would be um, stoic or give in to her emotions
1: well she has an awful lot in, in, in cancer which is emotional All right. But she has moon in Virgo and Mars in Virgo, which would have given her a handle on that, you know, which could have made her stoic.
0: What is her relationship to attention?
1: Well, we don't know exactly what time this person was born. And I'm reading her chart based on a noon time. All right. Uh, This person has, if she was born at noon, she has Libra rising. All right. And people with Libra rising like attention a lot. Okay. Now, all of these planets could be in the wrong houses, but it isn't going to change the planets. You know what I mean? So let's say, I mean, she has Jupiter in Taurus which is ruled by Venus. So that's a person who would enjoy attention. You know, this person has Neptune in Leo, you know, that is a person who, uh, could enjoy some attention. Um, Venus in cancer would be you wanting to give nurturing, but, people who have cancer placements are giving the nurturing so that they can receive it back. You know what I mean? Like people who nurture you are nurturing you in the way that they would like to be nurtured. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So even if we don't have this Libra rising and we have a different rising you still have an awful lot of cancer going on here, you know, which is an awful lot of offering to others with the hopes of, you know, receiving that in return.
0: What would her married life look like?
1: Well, we don't know for sure that she has this Jupiter in the seventh house. Um, But so let's look at... Uh, her Mars. Her Mars is in Virgo. Her Mars would be the type of man that she is interested in. And she is interested in an intellectual man, a man who could possibly be a doctor or capable of being an author, someone who uses their brain. You know, more brain than bronze, than bronze, than bronze, more brain than bronze, but not necessarily a wimp, you know, but definitely someone who is intellectual, um, looking at her Venus, she should have been very doting. So, um, that she has moon in Capricorn, which would also give her a handle on that so without knowing for sure what her seventh house is it's hard to say you know it's always much easier when we have a birth time but um just looking at the planets maybe that can give you an idea
0: what is her relationship with her family
1: well again we don't know for sure that you know what her fourth house cusp is but looking at this chart creating it with a noon time, uh, she has North node in the fourth house in Capricorn. So without knowing for sure what her fourth house is, um, and going by this, this would mean that her family would be paramount, you know, it would be paramount to her because she has North node in the fourth house. But if she wasn't born at noon, then we can look at her moon and her moon is at zero degrees Virgo. Um, and that would make her very dedicated, you know, uh, but in a way that is more logical, which balances out all this cancer. Because when you have, I mean, cancer is family, right? Cancer is the mother and she has three, four, four planets and her Midhaven in Cancer. So with that information, we would think, okay, well, she's probably really into her family, you know?
0: What profession would she go into?
1: Again, without knowing what her rising sign is, we don't know for sure what her 10th house cusp is. So without, I mean, with this chart, you would think that it would have uh, something to do with nurturing. But um, for this, I think we have to look at uh, where are her Virgo placements, which would be work. So, I mean, professionally, well, look at her. Her Virgo. She has Moon and Mars in Virgo. Virgo rules the sixth house, so I would assume maybe something that has to do with Virgonian things. Maybe. Um. I mean, she has this Neptune in Leo, which could give her a very creative edge in film. And grasping at the fact that she was born in Los Angeles, she's in the film world uh, at the time when film was new and innovative. You know, she's got this Uranus in, in Aquarius, which could make her very interested in new technology, you know? So there's options. Uh, you know,
0: do you think she would be a principled person or someone who was uh, more pragmatic?
1: Well, she's got both. <laughs> she has both aspects to that in her chart. You know, uh, the mini planets in um Cancer, and then these, you know, in her top planets in Virgo, so she has both, you know, and North Node and Capricorn. She leans towards being more emotional and nurturing because of all these planets and Cancer, but she has things in her chart to balance this out, you know? She's not she might appear to be a pushover that she would give in out of love, but she's got some bones to this, you know,
0: how would she respond if um, people lied about her?
1: Well, Mars and Virgo is going to get the record straight. You know what I mean? Um, it would most likely hurt her, you know, with all this cancer, you can get really hurt, but this Mars in Virgo and moon in Virgo is going to give her a handle on her emotions and start, you know, bringing out the facts
0: Are there any other uh, final first impressions that you get from this chart?
1: Well, I think that this person, uh, would have been amazing and, and, and honestly, lovely unless she was the dark side of all of this cancer, which would just make her kind of, kind of bratty, (laughs) but, um, I don't know. I think I would like this person. I think I'd like to hang out with this person. This person has drive and determination and ambition. And this person has a beautiful, uh, loving way about her. She's clearly able to communicate and have information available. Um, you know, and and she can manifest it through hard work and diligence and also give it this, you know, kind of healing um, and innovative twist.
0: Uh, well, at this time, I think we are ready for a summary of our findings. Mm hmm. The first thing you said is that she could be uh, very pretty and beautiful, Mm -hmm. and she could be witty and be uh, like a daisy. Mm -hmm. Uh, People would enjoy uh, being around her. Mm -hmm. Uh, She could enjoy money and material things. Mm -hmm. Uh, She could be cavalier in communication. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's very honest, uh, maybe even blunt. Uh, But Mm -hmm. she would try not to be offensive. Uh, Whatever she would have to say, if it was bad news, she would try and do it in a fun way. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: She would have a close-knit family, and the family is connected to business and money.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Her destiny is connected to her country and her family. Mm -hmm. Uh, She could be romantic. Uh, She could have innovative ideas about show business. Mm-hmm. Uh, she could have futuristic unique ideas she could be innovative mm-hmm. uh, she has many healing aspects uh, She, uh, healing is connected to her work
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, she is creative with her work there's a whimsy about her
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, there are always partners in her life uh, mm-hmm. partners going through even though she may want to be alone they are coming like a spigot Mm -hmm. Um, there is an abundance of Venusian luck Mm -hmm. Uh, romance and luck uh, with other people's money Mm -hmm. Uh, there's power with travel, education and philosophy Uh, she might be spiritual she could be very empathetic Uh, she is able to communicate about her feelings Mm -hmm. Uh, her career And how she is seen are her lesson in life.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, She is really good at business. Uh, She could be creative and dreamy about her career. Mm -hmm. She has a lot of emotions flowing through her, but is also very grounded. And Mm -hmm. is able to control her emotions so that she can get the job done. She has a grounded, analytical way of viewing her emotions. Uh, she could be attracted to medical healing. Uh, she is very organized, a detailed planner, very mm-hmm. smart. Uh, she is very loyal to her country. Uh, she could have been uh, stoic. Uh, could, uh, she could enjoy attention. Uh, wants to give uh, nurturing uh, in order to receive nurturing. Uh, and there is a uh, nurturing and attention, uh, th- there's a connection between this nurturing and the attention that she seeks and gives. hmm Uh, she uh, would be interested in an intellectual partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, she could be very doting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the family is paramount in her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would uh, want to go into a nurturing job. Uh, she has mm-hmm. a creative edge about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is very balanced. And she is not a pushover. Uh, she, if someone were to lie about her, uh, she will set the record straight about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but she would get hurt that these lies are being told. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a good handle on her emotions. Uh, She uh, could be an amazing, lovely person. Uh, She could also be a little bratty. (laughs) Uh, She has a mom's seal of approval. Mm -hmm. Uh, She uh, could have a lot of drive, determination, ambition. There's a lovely way about her. Uh, There's a lovely way in the way she communicates. Mm -hmm. She can manifest things through diligent, hard work. Mm -hmm. She is healing and innovative. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that I left out?
1: No, I think that's it.
0: Are you ready to find out whose chart you've been reading?
1: Yes, I hope I know who they are.
0: This is the astrological birth chart of Eva Tuguri.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Who is, for the correct or incorrect reasons forever known as the Tokyo Rose.
1: Oh. Ooh. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Uh,
0: for those who don't know, uh, the Tokyo Rose was this, um, well, it, it was a conglomeration of a lot of different broadcasters that the uh, servicemen who were serving in the Pacific would hear over the radio and mm-hmm. on the islands and in the ships. And uh, it was thought of as this uh, alluring seductive woman broadcasting out of Tokyo uh, and uh, was telling them about um, that uh, to, to give up uh, that their uh, wives, their sweethearts at home had given up on them, that they were orphans in the Pacific, this Japanese propaganda uh, that was brought through this sort of femme fatale in their minds.
1: Wow.
0: Um, Eva Taguri uh, was uh, charged with treason uh, and mm. was uh, given the name of Tokyo Rose. Um, but in all likelihood, this is not a name that she deserved, and she suffered a punishment for an act that she never committed. Hmm. Uh, Eva Tuguri was born in Los Angeles, July 4th, 1916, uh, to Yoon and Fumi Tuguri. Uh, She was uh, the first American born in her family. Her parents had come over from Japan. Her older brother was born in Japan. So she was really the first to be born on American soil in her family. Uh, Yoon was a merchant, uh, and he uh, was good at acquiring Eastern goods, uh, things from Japan and the Orient, uh, and uh, selling them uh, in his store. Uh, Eva uh, attended all of the the best schools that her family could get her through, Um, and so she would go to private schools in Mexico and in San Diego, uh, and then she would eventually graduate from public school uh, from Compton High School in 1934. Mm. Uh, She enrolled in UCLA. Uh, She really wanted to be a doctor. Uh, So she was uh, on this pre-medical track, and uh, she studied zoology, and that is what she uh, got her degree in. And she was eager to apply to medical schools, but um, by the late 1930s, uh, people of Japanese descent uh, were not welcome in uh, medical schools. Also, she was a woman, so they were also not uh, looking for women to become doctors uh, at that time. Uh, she graduated from UCLA with her zoology degree uh, in the summer of 1941. Uh, at that time, her mother's family was still in Japan, and uh, her, uh, her aunt, uh, there was word given uh, through letters that her aunt had gotten sick, uh, and uh, it was... Tradition within uh, Japanese culture for the family to go back and take care of uh, the sick loved one. Mm-hmm. Uh, her mother, uh, Fumi, was uh, sick herself and was not able to make the trip back to Japan, so they sent uh, her, their newly graduated daughter, um, uh, Eva, to go back to Japan, and she arrived there uh, in the summer of 1941. Mm -hmm. Well, it was quickly discovered that her aunt was not nearly as sick as she had put on uh, that she was. And as the uh, clock started ticking towards the inevitable war that was happening between the United States and Japan, um, Eva was eager to try and get back to America. She had left America without a passport. Uh, the State Department said that she would not need one, that they just needed a certified letter of her nationality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the time you get into the fall of 1941, um, the State Department was now saying that she would need a real passport, and they left her in Japan, the last uh, ship leaving from Japan in early December of 1941. Uh, Eva Toguri Uh, was not a Japanese citizen. She was American born and bred. She Mm -hmm. uh, uh, wore bobby socks and had a crush on Jimmy Stewart.
1: Um,
0: She uh, did not like uh, Japanese uh, culture, especially in imperial Japan. Uh, She hated eating rice. Um, She uh, did not... uh, She did not like all the food rationing that was going on with the uh, imperial government of Japan already in a war uh, against China and uh, many other allied powers. Uh, And there was always this air of suspicion about her regarding even her own family members and especially uh, those uh, in the Japanese imperial government. Uh, and then, on December 7th of 1941, uh, the Japanese uh, launched a surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, and the United States was brought into World War II. Um, the Japanese government came to Eva and said uh, that she can just give up her American citizenship and everything will be uh, just fine for her. Uh, all she had to do was fill out a form and check that she was a Japanese citizen, mm. that she was not an American citizen. She refused. She refused. She said a tiger does not change its stripes. Mm -hmm. Uh, As uh, harassment began against her family, she left her aunt's home in Tokyo uh, and uh, was out on the streets. The uh, Japanese uh, government said, uh, if you do not say that you are a Japanese citizen, then we will put you in, uh, in a prison camp. And she said, fine, go ahead, put me in a prison camp. And the Japanese government said, well, actually, we won't because we don't want to have to feed you three times a day. Mm -hmm. So she was left out uh, to her own uh, without. uh, uh, She was not a Japanese citizen, so she was not given a ration card so she could not Mm -hmm. get food. So she had to go to the black market to try and get food for her to survive. When she arrived in Japan in the summer of 1941, she was 145 pounds. Mm. Uh, By the time she left Japan, she was 76 pounds.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: She was willing to do uh, any sort of work that was possible. And one of the things that she was able to do is that she was an American uh, citizen. She knew English. So she started Mm -hmm. transcribing uh, American broadcasts on the radio uh, for the newspaper in Tokyo. Uh, And then uh, that got her into contact with uh, Radio Tokyo. And uh, in Radio Tokyo, the Japanese government had uh, American and allied POWs that they were uh, forcing to do a propaganda uh, radio broadcast Mm -hmm. called the Zero Hour. Uh, And they were doing this broadcast in English to be broadcast to American and Australian and other GIs in the Pacific. Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, Tuguri started uh, meeting uh, with these GIs and she would sacrifice some of her own food whatever limited she had to give to -hmm. these men and uh, one of the uh, men who was In the POW camp, uh, Major uh, Charles Cousins from Australia uh, was so taken with this act of of kindness uh, and and with her own uh, way of talking and her own way of uh, uh, just her personality that uh, he decided that he wanted to put her on the air of this zero-hour broadcast. Uh, The Japanese had made these men do this, but they... uh, were writing the scripts themselves. The scripts mm-hmm. had to be approved by the Japanese government. Um, but the men were doing this themselves. So they were making sure that this broadcast, the zero hour broadcast, um, was not everything that the Japanese government wanted to, to, it to be. Mm-hmm. That it was more lighter that there was satire, that there was these things to make sure that if American and other allied GIs heard it, that they would not, um, fall for this propaganda. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Charles Cousins uh, got to Gurry uh, to be on the broadcast as sort of this friendly voice from home. So she started doing these broadcasts, and these were all written by the POWs, uh, so uh, of course it it couldn't necessarily be glowing of the uh, Allied effort, um, but uh, it, it wasn't everything that uh, the Japanese government was wanting it to be either. Really, uh, it was very sarcastic and sardonic. They were mm-hmm. um, reporting on uh, ships that had gone down, but they were making up names for the ships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were, um, uh, she, she addressed the GIs as, as her fellow orphans in the Pacific uh, mm-hmm. and often called them boneheads. Uh, to to my bonehead audience out there. Uh, And we're going to serve you up some high-class propaganda. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, letting everyone who's listening to this know, now she's not the only uh, uh, person speaking in this American dialect uh, that the soldiers are hearing in the Pacific. There are over 20 women that are on different radio stations, on shortwave radio, being broadcast throughout the islands and throughout the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. and a lot of these other women are much more um are much more uh, uh subversive and they are really getting into the gi's minds that uh their their sweethearts don't love them anymore that they're lost in the pacific that they're going mm-hmm. to lose this war um but even with this uh, uh the these men are hearing this voice this female voice and conjure up in their idea in their minds, this idea of who this, uh, exotic woman could be who, who this femme fatale who's trying to ensnare them might be. Uh, and so they even before Toguri started taking to the airwaves, there was already this idea of Tokyo Rose and mm-hmm. everybody who was stationed in the Pacific knew about Tokyo Rose. And they made movies about Tokyo Rose and any movie that you see from the time will often have a broadcast from a woman coming through the speakers and they refer to her as this Tokyo Rose. Mm-hmm. Uh so the Zero Hour uh, continues on throughout the duration of the war. In 1945, in the spring, um, Tigray falls in love, and, and she marries a Portuguese-Japanese uh, man uh, named Philippe uh, uh, de Quino. Uh, and they get married in the spring of 1945, and then uh, the war just progresses very quickly uh, after that, through the spring into the summer. In August, the uh, uh, bombs are dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. September, the Japanese Empire surrenders, and the U.S. begins occupation of mainland Japan.
1: mm mm-hmm. um,
0: And the one thing that everyone is looking for is Tokyo Rose. They want Mm -hmm. to find this woman. They want to know who she was when really it wasn't just one woman. It was 20 different women. But they Mm -hmm. want everyone wants to have this big story. And so there are a few uh, reporters that are working for uh, William Randolph Hearst and the Hearst uh, newspaper empire uh, named uh, Clark Lee and uh, Harry Brundage. And uh, they go to Radio Tokyo, and there, there are a mix of Japanese citizens and some Americans, and they're trying to think, well, there was no woman who went on our station as as Tokyo rose, mm-hmm. but there was Eva. There was Eva Taguri, and she was on the Zero Hour. Maybe that's who you're talking about. So they reach out to her, and they say uh, that they are willing to give her $2,000 uh, to do an exclusive interview with their newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so she shows up because she didn't she, she knows that she didn't do anything wrong. Everything mm-hmm. she was uh given to say was given to her by a uh, US servicemen. Um so she has no fear of of what's uh of what they're looking for. And so uh she walks into the uh hotel room uh that they are having this interview with and they say uh, are you Tokyo Rose and she goes sure. Yeah, I'm Tokyo Rose. Sure. Uh, Well, that began a four-hour interview with her, in which they uh, uh, did not give her any relief or water, as as they had her explain her entire involvement. And uh, at the end, she signs a paper admitting that she is a Tokyo Rose. And... At that exact moment, they just publish the paper. So they publish Mm -hmm. the paper, and everyone is so excited. Oh, this is Tokyo Rose, and there's videos, uh, I mean, or or film reels taken of her, and uh, she is just this uh, American woman. She has bobby socks and pigtails in her hair, Uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the servicemen are just – uh, standing around her and are in awe that this is this is it. This is the woman. She seems so innocent and naive, but, but I guess so. That's who she's claiming to be is this Tokyo mm. Rose. Um, and in the newspaper, uh, it's published uh, September 3rd of 1945. They say uh, that she sold out her country for $6 mm. a month. Uh, Mm. So this uh, uh, prompts an army investigation. So the uh, army goes in and they take her uh, uh, captive and they put her in the prison, the same prison that all the highest war criminals are being Mm. held in. Uh, Emperor Tojo is being held uh, in this prison. Uh, They uh, uh, do not uh, let her have – she can't see her husband uh, except for 20 minutes once a month she can see Mm. her husband. And they go through her entire story, and the army comes out and says... She did nothing wrong. She is mm-hmm. uh, clear of all charges. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she is released. And uh, she tries to continue her life in Tokyo. And then uh, she gets pregnant. And she wants to have her baby in her homeland of America. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. wants her baby to be an American citizen. Mm-hmm. So she goes through the State Department to try and get a, uh, a a visa, a passport, to go back to the United States. And uh, they refuse to give it to her. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because of the radio broadcaster, Walter Winchell. Uh, Walter Winchell was uh, this muckraking yellow journalist who was uh, uh, always coming up with with false stories, and and he zeroed in on Tokyo Rose and on Mm -hmm. this idea of Eva and wanted to make sure that not only did she not get back to America as a citizen, but did she uh, get tried for treason. Oh, and uh, this is the summer of 1948. Harry Truman is running for re-election. And there are a lot of people who are saying that Truman is soft. He's soft on traitors. He's soft on communism. And so uh, he decides that this is going to be a good way of uh, getting the public back on his side. But he's not soft. And so he uh, allows for Eva to be arrested and tried for treason. Wow. Uh, They uh, make sure that she's put on a boat, uh, a special uh, ship that uh, has uh, enough uh, fuel so that it does not have to stop anywhere uh, before it gets to uh, California. Because Mm -hmm. if the uh, ship stops in Alaska or in Hawaii, that is American soil and then she would have to be tried there. They Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that she was tried in San Francisco to make Mm -hmm. an example out of her. Uh so uh, she arrives in San Francisco on this uh, troop carrier. A lot of people are, are very happy for all the troops who are now coming stateside who are now home. Um, but she was kept uh in a cell uh, the entire time. And that's mm. uh the the first time that she comes back to America in uh over seven years uh was because uh now she is a, a prisoner. And it's uh, during this time that she finds out what happened to her own family. And that uh, her own family were taken and put into inter- internment camps in mm-hmm. Arizona. And it is there that her mother passed away in a Japanese mm-hmm. internment camp. Um, uh, in 1948, uh, she is uh, brought uh, to trial. And uh, she is charged with eight counts of treason. Uh, she is only the seventh person in American history ever uh, charged with treason. Uh, the trial goes on, and, and I just think that this really speaks to her. Years later, she talks about how she got embroiled in this, in this treason uh, mm-hmm. trial. And uh, she goes, uh, well, you know, the, the government, they were, they were looking for someone to pin all this on. And mm-hmm. she goes, uh, eeny, meeny, miny, and I was mo." Uh, and so uh, she was put up uh, on this trial. The FBI and the federal prosecutors, uh, they uh, intimidated witnesses and uh, uh, brought people uh, to perjure themselves, to say to say lies against mm-hmm. her. A lot of these were American citizens that were in Japan who did give up their American citizenship to save their own skins during mm-hmm. the war. Mm-hmm. And they came forward and testified against her. Uh, they had all sorts of uh, manipulative tricks they were given. Uh, that they were doing uh, during the trial. Uh, this was uh, the most expensive and the longest trial in American history up to that point. Uh, it cost uh, over half a million dollars, I think is what they said hmm. uh, in that day. Uh, the jury went to deliberate and it took uh, 72 hours uh, of deliberations and they came back and they were still a hung jury. They were not uh, willing to uh, uh, to. to Uh, commit this woman. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the judge said, this is the most expensive uh, trial in history. It's the longest trial. You need to go back in that room and give us a verdict. Mm -hmm. And so they went back and they were just tired and they wanted to go home. Mm -hmm. So they uh, found her guilty of one charge of treason. Uh, So seven of them she was let go, but one of them, they said that uh, in October of 1944, she did speak into a microphone um, about uh, the sinking of American ships. Mm -hmm. Uh, For that, uh, she uh, uh, was given a $10,000 fine and uh, was sent to 10 years in prison. Uh, And she Mm -hmm. was also uh, stripped of her United States citizenship. Uh, she was uh, sent to prison uh, in West Virginia, and there, one of her uh, cell—well, uh, they weren't cell mates, but one of the other prisoners uh, in this uh, prison uh, was Axa Sally, who was an actual broadcaster for the Nazis and was an actual collaborator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were bridge partners. Um, the— uh, She served a six of the ten years and was let off for good behavior. And uh, in the mid-50s, she was uh, uh, released, and the United States government tried to deport her. Mm. Um, uh, They had already uh, said that her husband could never return to the United States, so her husband would have to be in Japan forever. Um, And they tried to deport her and her lawyer, uh, Wayne Collins, who never took a penny uh, for Mm -hmm. any of the defense of of the first trial and deportation. He was able to successfully allow her to stay in the United States. And uh, she uh, moved to Chicago where her father was still alive. And the family was running a uh, import store again uh, in uh, Chicago. And uh, she was working uh, in this store um, and just minding her own business. uh, But her story uh, was being told more and more. Mm -hmm. And by the 1970s, Her lawyer's son, uh, Wayne Collins Jr., uh, who uh, uh, had always had uh, this great respect uh, for what uh, Tuguri had gone through in her life, Mm -hmm. and and was also grateful to her because while she was going through the trial, uh, she tutored him in math, and Mm -hmm. she said that uh, he said that he was never going to pass high school math without Tuguri's help. Uh, And so Wayne Collins Jr. and uh, Dr. Ueda with the Japanese American Citizen League uh, started this um, campaign to get her a presidential pardon. And uh, they worked throughout the 1970s and they got uh, her story out there. Uh, Eventually they found uh, two of the witnesses who... uh, 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 Testified against her and got them to recant their testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the jurors, the uh, uh, the witnesses all talk about how they were pressured by the government to do this. And there's not a day that goes by in their life that they don't feel sorry for what they did uh, to this woman. <laughs> uh, and her story uh, was told on uh, 60 Minutes. Uh, there's this uh uh interview the story that they do on 60 minutes with uh, Mor- morley safer does a story and uh, he starts off talking about the propaganda of the time and this was in 1976 that he he's giving this and he says uh, yeah but that was in the 1940s when it was all right to be racist about your enemies <laughs> okay <laughs> it's like i don't i don't know about that morley <laughs> but okay um And they they wanted it to be on 60 Minutes because they knew that President Ford never missed 60 Minutes, that he always Mm -hmm. watched it on Sunday night, which is so interesting because the way that this all started for her was that Walter Winchell always broadcast on Sunday, Mm -hmm. and uh, Truman always listened to Walter Winchell, and that's how... This, all this misfortune mm-hmm. happened to her. Um, the Really, the, the power of the media over uh, the executive branch is um, staggering. Uh, so uh, the 60-minute special, Ford watched it, and it got this bug in his uh, brain about giving her a pardon. And so uh, one of the last acts he did on January 20th, 1977, as he is leaving office, is Mm. he gives a pardon to Eva Tuguri Mm. and uh, restores her American citizenship. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, her husband uh, was still not able to come back to the United States. uh, So they would end up getting a divorce in 1980. Uh, Mm. But she finally got to live uh, the life uh, of this quiet, this quiet life that she had always wanted wanted um, uh, uh, for for the rest of her life from 1977 onward, with her citizenship restored, and uh, everyone finally really getting the true story of it all. Um, And what really strikes me uh, about the whole story, and especially when you see those first film reels that are taken of her, is that In her mind, the whole time, she was doing this for the troops. She was Mm -hmm. on this broadcast for the troops. She was this proud American citizen. Mm -hmm. Uh, A tiger does not change its stripes. She could have given in at any moment. If she had given up her American citizenship, she wouldn't have been tried as a traitor. Right, But... She never did, and she stood up to the Japanese, and she stood up to uh, the American government, too, uh, because of, of who she was and who she knew that she was. Um, and uh, she uh, continued to live that life of a proud American until she passed away in 2006. Uh, so uh, Eva Tuguri, uh rightly or wrongly known as the Tokyo Rose, um, a, a fascinating life uh, that she led. And I think that a lot of the things, uh, from this chart make a lot of sense. She wanted to be a very nurturing person. Uh, she wanted to be a doctor. That's what she wanted to do first. And then, mm-hmm. uh, communicating. She was trying to heal American troops, uh, over the broadcasts, uh, of whatever little way that she could. And, uh, there's probably a lot of things here that, um, she could have been capable of had, Uh, So many misfortunes not been uh, laid in her way.
1: Mm -hmm. This is very true. And another very sad situation. Um, You know how I feel about the court system. (laughs) But um, interesting. And I really wish I did have a birth time for her. Because it would be really, really helpful to know where all of these planets fall, you know, um, it, it, it is interesting. I mean, her North node in Capricorn at 29 degrees being loyal, (laughs) being loyal, no matter what, you know, which is, uh, very Saturnian, but it could go the other way. I mean, it could have gone, she could have been really manipulative, but she chose not. She chose to be loyal, you know, and, um, it, it's so, it's just so sad. I have a very hard time sometimes. Um I, I love America because I love we the people of America. But I mean, all countries do this to people all the time. So this is um very unfortunate, you know. Also having North Node and Capricorn is a rough place to have a North node because it puts your direction ruled by Saturn, which is lessons, you know, so that's hard and difficult, but I mean, what an amazing woman to stay strong and, and, and live through everything she lived through. I don't think she could have done it if she hadn't have had this Mars and and, and moon in, 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 um, Virgo, you know what I mean? And this North node in Capricorn, that's just an awful lot of cancer to, you know, not have these, these strong bones, you know, in the midst of all that, but what an amazing woman.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I think on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, this is a little... in the middle but very close to right on the money uh we would of course just be better if we if we did have that birth time mm-hmm. um but i think a lot of the things here are uh, who this uh, person was and it would have been amazing to see what she uh, could have done uh if uh, all these other things ha- hadn't happened in her life but uh, th- these were the lessons you know mm-hmm. the, the lessons are connected to communication they're connected mm-hmm. to philosophy are connected to nurturing mm-hmm. um, so uh, she gave a lot of uh, comfort and nurturing to American troops uh, during the war and then um, uh, her story was also taken up by the Japanese American community after the war and, um, so a uh, uh, her life was uh, very important and um uh, uh I were very grateful for her um having lived and, and done what she did mhm mhm uh, well, uh, that, uh, just about uh, wraps things up for us on this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to, uh, reach out and support the podcast, we have all of the links to our social media accounts, uh, posted in the episode description. Uh, we also have a link to our PayPal account. Every little bit, little bit helps us in producing a uh, better quality show and expanding our audience. Uh, we also have a link, uh, to, uh, uh, we're also able to uh, have you be your very own mystery history guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, if you would like to have your chart read or uh, maybe a sinistry chart between you and that special someone, uh, we can make that happen for you. Just reach out to uh, the email provided in the description, uh, Mom at historyandretrograde.com, and Mom can get with you and uh, go over all the details about that.
1: Yes, I'd love to. I'm really enjoying meeting all of you and spending time with all of you. And I do want to say thank you for all the contributions. It's really lovely. And I look forward to meeting more of you. Just go, if you can't remember the email, just go to historyandretrograde.com.
0: Well, uh, that uh, concludes this episode of History and Retrograde. We'd like to uh, thank you all so much for listening. And as always... In conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine.
1: Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much. Bye-bye.